0: You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simon, I'm a game study scholar from Germany.
1: I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas.
0: And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. It ties into this episode that I want to say that I do love questionnaires and these personality tests. I'm Even when I call up a company and they're like, please stay on the line so you can rate our customer service. I'm like, yes!
1: (laughs) Why does that strike me as one of the more German things you've ever said? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) I love just putting my
0: sentiments and my personality into numbers, just quantifying (laughs) myself.
1: (laughs) Uh, There is something nice about it, especially when you get the result back and you say, ah, okay, well, there's something uh, I didn't know about myself there.
0: Yeah, so that's who I am. (laughs) Thank you for telling me. (laughs) I think it's a great opportunity to reflect upon yourself and your passions and your personality. And that's also the reason why we are going to do a little bit of a gamer motivation type assessment today. Mm. Before we do that, though, we have to mention that if you like this show and if you want to help us make it happen, then you can support us by becoming a Studying Pixels Plus member you will get all of our episodes ad-free, you will get a lovely sticker that says, I am studying pixels, and you will get monthly plus episodes. And it is a new month. It is May 2022, and we've got a new plus episode up and running, I think on Wednesday.
1: Yes, and this is one that is near and dear to our hearts, uh, talking about a handheld console that we're both very fond of. It is. The tragic death of the PS Vita. Ah, the PS
0: Vita. It has such a beautiful name. It means life. And yet it is so dead.
1: Yes, so very, very dead. So <laughs> hear about how that happened and the shame of it all in our uh, our newest plus episode.
0: If you're curious about that, then you can go to studyingpixels.com/slash plus to find out more. In our main story, we're going to take a little test. We're going to ask, which gamer type are you? And in order to determine that, we found, well, I guess a test that's fairly common. I've known this kind of test for many, many years, and I've heard people talking about it. It is the Gamer Motivation Profile by Quantic Foundry. This test, this survey, this questionnaire has been set up by Nick Yi and Nick Duchenneau. I hope that pronounce the name correctly and here's a little quote that they write on their website on how it works These profile tools were developed using statistical analysis of how game preferences and personality traits cluster together. Your responses to the survey are compared with the responses of many other people and your profile report is based on your percentile ranks on the preferences and traits measured end quote. So this is not some kind of uh, dubious, uh, dubious questionnaire, dubious test, but this is really based on statistical data, empirical data, to determine why we play video games, what we are passionate about, and what kind of type we might be. And we will go through this questionnaire and we will then be assessed. In six categories, when it comes to our motivation, those categories are action, social, mastery, achievement, creativity, and immersion. And this is a new thing that I had not known before we started doing this episode. There are also nine gamer types. Often it's just one, or maybe you get two of them combined, and they are the following. Acrobat, Gardener, Slayer, Skirmisher, Gladiator, Ninja, Bounty Hunter, Architect, and Bard. Quite a lot to assess. Red
1: mage, alchemist, uh, (laughs) dark elf, (laughs) priest. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think you are out of those? So I don't know how these are assessed, but just based on the names only, I'm thinking that because I really like doing uh, trophy hunting and the kind of metagame of games, I think I might be achievement in that first uh, grouping of six of them. And then in the nine gamer types, I think I may be Bounty Hunter. Uh, I'm going only based on the name and why I think I play video games, which is I really love trophy hunting.
0: Mm, I can relate to that. It might be that it ends up similar, though. I guess that for me, the most dominant motivational category would probably be immersion, I suppose, because I love losing myself in stories. Yeah. And from these nine gamer types i think i might i might actually be a ninja (laughs) just because i love i love sneaking around like when i play elden ring it's basically a stealth game for me
1: oh cool yeah i think (laughs) it's i i'm i'm wondering too because we have our preconceptions of what these names mean right so i'm wondering if we get You know, if I end up being an acrobat and their definition of acrobat is way different than what I thought Bounty Hunter would be or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: we can go through the questions. Uh, We just have to call up the website, which we're going to do live on the show. We don't know what we're going to be asked or what we'll end up being. But if you want to go along with us, then you can find the link to the survey on quanticfoundry.com in our show notes. So you can do this along with us or you can do it afterwards and let us know your results. The first two questions are just a little bit of an assessment where it's your gender and your age. I guess we don't have to talk about that much. But then it already comes up with an interesting question that's very objective but requires a little bit of guesswork. They ask, In a typical week, about how many days do you spend at least
1: 30 minutes playing a video game? Oh, this is where we we out ourselves. Ah. <laughs> I think I, I'm going to say, on average, four to five days for me, at least 30 minutes.
0: It would be the same for me. Sometimes it can be six or seven days even, mm-hmm. but there are definitely weeks where that doesn't work out. Like normally I play, here's my, my routine actually, I don't know whether we're going to be asked this, but I find this still interesting also to hear yours. I often play a little bit in the morning if I have time. There are some days where I start really early in the morning with work and then I don't. But if I have some wiggle room, I like to play for like half an hour, maybe an hour in the morning. When I get up really early, because that's just simply... (laughs) I just can't help it. I just get up really early and I play a bit, take a shower and have breakfast. And then sometimes another hour or two in the evening. That would be kind of like a normal normal routine
1: yeah, I would say it's the same for me. I I'll usually play if I have like a a grind that I'm working on. I usually do that in the morning to wake up and then uh sometimes if I have a little time during my lunch break, I might, you know, pop uh, pop over to the Switch and play a game for a couple of minutes. I did that with Kirby recently, so yeah. Yeah, I think I, I try to find little moments throughout the day and then yeah, about an hour or two maybe longer in the evening.
0: Mm, okay, so we're pretty similar. When it comes to yeah. the distribution of game time throughout the day, I guess like you know, working life is.
1: <laughs> yeah, you figure out where you can. But all right, well, I have the next question: Is would you consider yourself to be a casual gamer, a core slash midcore gamer, or a hardcore gamer?
0: Ah, uh, hardcore, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I think. Oh, but the way that they de- the way they define. Hardcore is they say you are a dedicated gamer and play seriously or competitively. So I guess I play seriously. I don't know that I play competitively.
0: I don't play competitively at all or very seldomly, but I do play seriously because it is my job. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) It's literally my job. So I guess you could say I'm playing seriously as in I'm I'm interpreting video games, discussing video games and teaching about video games. So that qualifies. Yeah, Yeah, I'm pretty serious serious. about video games. (laughs) It's not a laughing matter. (laughs) Which of these platforms do you usually play games on? Check all that apply. And we've got here the things that I'm going to check is console. Yes, I'm going to check. um, Well, handheld, the Switch, they qualify it as a handheld console when you are, when you have it undocked Undocked. in handheld mode. They even have the PS Vita listed here. Do you see that?
1: Yes, uh, <laughs> some <laughs> folks after our own heart, yep.
0: <laughs> I think I'll have to check that as well, because yep. if I play something on the Switch, then unless it's something like Breath of the Wild, I often actually play in handheld mode, especially especially since I like to take my Switch on the go. And I also have to say, on smartphone and tablet, yes, I do, I do play quite a bit on my iPad. On my Mac, not so much, just because the Mac is really not a re- proper platform for video games. So I would say, for me, it's console, smartphone, tablet, and handheld console.
1: I think I'm just console and handheld console, because I don't really dabble in... The other option is VR, and I don't play too much of that. Um, and I don't, really, I don't really use my tablet or my phone, so just the consoles,
0: Okay, then we... Oh, the next one is really tough. Do you want to read that out while I think about
1: my answers already? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so what are some recent games released in the past few years? That's how they're defining recent. You have enjoyed playing. And it says game one, and then it, it gives us two options for other games.
0: So Three games. Well, the first one that I'm going to enter is Elden Ring.
1: Same here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the second Elden one, Ring. I think...
0: I'll I'll put in Horizon Forbidden West because that's oh, the go. one that I played before that.
1: I'm gonna say Persona Five Royal because I really love that game. And five, mm-hmm. the third one. Um, boy, I mean, there's so there's so many. I guess you can't choose every other game I've played. <laughs> that would probably be betraying the purpose of the questionnaire a little
0: bit <laughs> <laughs> well some recent games you have enjoyed playing i'm gonna add hellblade senua's sacrifice in there because i've recently played that for the sake of analysis but it's also one of my favorite games so yeah i've got elden ring horizon forbidden west and hellblade senua's
1: sacrifice great you know i'll put in pokemon sword because i really like that game there we go are you currently playing any web,
0: mobile, or tablet games, it asks me. Did you get that question as well? I did. And I am not, <laughs> I don't think. Are I you? do. Yeah, kind of. I'm, actually, I have... It's, it doesn't really... I'm not sure whether it qualifies as a game. I'll check whether they have the, the app in here. It's called Dear Reader. Mm. And it's uh, an app that was part of Apple Arcade. Mm. I use it on my iPhone and it's basically a reading app. So you read through, let's say, uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice in, let's say, a condensed version. So it's not the whole book, but it's like every chapter is condensed to its main components. And the game part about it, that's why it qualifies as a game and why it's in the game section on the App Store, is you have to select what goes into certain gaps. So you basically fill out... The story. Oh, interesting. Yeah, with with your own words, and and sometimes that's really challenging because those are often very poetically written. Like Jane Austen is a very fantastic, very poetic writer, and that what make that is what makes it a game. It's really much about reading, but also about also about a game. So I'm gonna put in dear reader. This is definitely something I'm mostly using
1: these days. A, I'm I might be betraying my English background, but I, I guess you could just. You could just say Mr. Darcy broods for a lot of... (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: How ardently I love
1: and admire you.
0: Ah. Well,
1: I'm I'm not going to put anything here because I'm not playing any.
0: I'm also going to include Sky Children of the Light. That's the last game that I played on the iPad. And... Oh, wait. No, that's actually not true. I have another one. I mean, Sky was by... um, that game company is that what it's called? N- no, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, that game company is a studio that made okay. journey, j- journey and so on. You know, Journey and Flower oh, yeah, and yeah, these yeah, games, yeah. and <laughs> right, right. and they made Sky, Children of the Light, and it's this like it's for designed for uh, like iPads and Apple TV, and it's a multiplayer, slow paced exploration kind of thing. Hmm. And, of course, I've played the Professor Layton. I even spoke about Professor Layton on the show. I remember that, show. yeah. And that was uh, Catriel. Let's see whether they have it in here. Oh, yeah, Layton's Mystery Journey. Catriel and the Millionaire's Conspiracy. Ha! Cool. <laughs> now I've got all three. And I've proven myself to be a mobile gamer. <laughs> there you are. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I have... Uh, the next one is just, are there any other games you've enjoyed playing recently? So I suppose this could be anything, right? anything. So, I think I'm going to say um octopath traveler. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, really enjoyed that one. And um let's see. This is the this is the problem because I feel like I've I always enjoy games. I can't think yeah. of, I'm, it's I'm harder to uh, I'm hard-pressed to think about a game that I didn't enjoy.
2: <laughs> oh, you know, I'll
1: put in <laughs> I'll put in uh Yakuza like a Dragon. I oh, yeah. I actually have played that as well, so I should put
0: that in as well because that's the big one I played before this wave of current games that came <laughs> out. All these games, yeah. But I can't even recall honestly what have I played before I started playing Horizon? I can't remember. I've like <laughs> my mind is completely wiped since this flood of super interesting games that came out this year. I know one that you that won't go on here. Uh, Devil May Cry 5. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, right. I played Devil May Cry 5. Yeah, yeah, but it says you have enjoyed recently. You have enjoyed, uh, yes. For that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that wouldn't be the case. No, no, I
1: haven't done well, that. I'll put in those two. All right. <laughs> for, oh, I got a pop-up. For the next section, how important are the following game elements and activities to you when you play video games? It might be uh,
0: that we've got mm. different questions now, so we briefly have to check. I've got taking the time to practice and master a game.
1: Oh, yes. Okay, we've split now.
0: Okay, you've got another one. Then we'll just go and take it in turns and then basically reintegrate our answers
1: at a later point when we get the question. Do you want to start with yours? Sure. So I have... So again, this is how important is this particular thing they're saying. And it says getting to know all the main characters and their backstories. I'm going to say extremely important, which is the... The most important they have. For me, it's taking
0: the time to practice and master a game, which is, I would say, very important. So this is always a five-point scale. It goes from not at all important to extremely important. I'm going to go with very important, just because I do enjoy it to practice and master a game. I want to, well, get good at a game and I want to master <laughs> its mechanics because I think that part of the involvement is mastering its mechanics. However, I don't go overboard. Like I, I'm not aiming to be kind of the awesome dude in uh, competitive in PvP and Elden Ring, for example. And, and that's why I'm not, I'm not going to the highest part.
1: I, I just got that question too. Uh, Taking the time to practice and master. And I'm going to say, I think I'm going to say somewhat important because I would say that often I, if I'm playing through a game that the story of which intrigues me, I don't mind playing on an easier mode just to play through the story. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. Hmm.
0: I actually always start on the highest difficulty if there is a difficulty selection. And then I mostly regret it halfway through. (laughs) (laughs) When I think at the beginning, okay, it works. And then halfway through, I realize, oh yeah, games get harder as you go along,
1: usually. (laughs) You know, it's funny you say, because I remember when I was, uh, I don't know, back when Guitar Hero was the only game that came out every year. um, Yeah. I remember a friend of mine said he was incredibly good at it and he, he said that he started on the uh, the legendary difficulty or whatever the, the hardest difficulty was and he Basically said that's he the only way Walmart. I know how to play mm. yeah <laughs> and I thought oh that's a cool way to do it so I, I get the impulse but sometimes I say you know what I'd, I'd rather just listen to the story yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> this game is too hard well, the tough thing about Guitar Hero is
0: you can play this on legendary difficulty and then someone gives you an actual guitar and you're like uh <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh man i've got all right pretending that i am someone or somewhere else which is mm. extremely important to me i love pretending as if i'm someone or somewhere else i love basically being a tourist in a video game i love honestly for me one of the favorite parts of any role-playing game is when you start out and you're still in this peaceful village and the Mm. world is still okay, and you can just get to know the place and the characters, and you're like, oh, this is so nice. I just want to take a vacation here. I'm going to consider this extremely important.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I have completing all possible missions and achievements in a game, I'm going to say extremely important. I would say even in games where... I, I have this weird obligation to them where if I like the game enough... I'll say, okay, I want to know everything about it. So I got to do all the achievements and I got to do all of the side missions. And that way I can say, I have completed this game. I feel the
0: same. Do you usually, once you have, let's say, gotten really into a game Mm. and you roll the credits, do you go directly into uh,
1: earning achievements and completing that game? Or do you step away from it first? I usually go right into it. The the way that I've been trying to do it lately, though, in the past couple of years, is I'll go into it. I'll actually take a look at some of the achievements beforehand and just say, okay, how much of this can I do playing through the game normally? And then I'll do like the cleanup afterwards. So I I definitely go right back into it. I would say that the only time the only time I step away is if it has profoundly affected me. <laughs> And then I step away and I think about it for a while and then I go back to it.
0: You need yeah. to digest it first, basically. Yeah. yeah,
1: <laughs> I get that. <laughs>
0: well, I mostly, I mean, I only do trophies if the game properly intrigues me, just like you mentioned as well. Like I, I never do it out of having to collect those trophies, even though I, I'm not enjoying myself. And then I usually do it in that way that I... I complete the game I roll the credits I'm kind of satisfied with it I look I take a look at the trophies and try to assess how much work that would be yeah and then I step away I play other games first and and then at a later point when I'm kind of I kind of have a gap and I'm like okay there's nothing really that I need to review or play or analyze right now then I'm going to go to these these games that I've played before and I'm going to slowly start and collect the trophies
1: yeah yeah I think it's just a fun way to I have in my head that that percentage of the people who get the platinum. um, I think, oh, if I'm part of that, that means I've really played through this game.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You have really played through this game indeed. If you get the platinum trophy. (laughs) I got the question that you had before getting to know all the main characters and their backstories. And that is extremely important to me because Mm. I speak to every single NPC Several times until they have nothing more to say. <laughs> it's like, yep. I'm the kind of person, if you encounter me in real life, I'm the kind of person who keeps just probing you and asking questions until you repeat yourself. And I'm like, okay, enjoy your day.
1: <laughs> uh, but it does, I, I mean, it's funny. We're going into this, you thinking like the the immersive answer is probably going to be your, your classification. I think the trophy one or the achievement one will be. And I think that, We have a lot of overlap though, because when I'm playing a game like Elden Ring, I feel like I'm, it's almost like you feel like you're not doing it justice or like, why would I be playing this if I I wasn't talking to everybody and getting to know everything? So I absolutely understand that.
0: Especially because the characters are so rich once you get into their stories a little bit. At first you speak to them and it just is all abstract and weird. And then the more you engage with them, the more you understand who they are, what they want, and how potentially you can even help them achieve that.
1: Mm. Well, I have one that, uh, it's how important is an elaborate storyline. And as the resident Kingdom Hearts guy, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to, (laughs) I'm going to say somewhat important. Because I don't need an elaborate storyline to enjoy myself, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I was about. I was. I, I was thinking, uh, since you like Kingdom Hearts so much,
0: I, I thought you would like to give like a custom answer that is stronger than extremely important. <laughs> 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 an elaborate storyline. Mm. Mm. That's a tough one, though, because for me, I kind of my first intuition would be, yeah, super important because I love stories, but then. I think of a lot of games I've played that actually don't have super elaborate storylines and are just... Think of something... Think of Hotline Miami, Mm. which is a game that has a wonderful storyline. It's not elaborate. It's just brief... Basically brief blips between the missions and it's cool and it's interesting but not elaborate. Still, I enjoy that game a whole lot. So maybe it's not as important as I would like to initially
1: think. I think even with... um... With JRPGs, which are, I think, my favorite genre, I I appreciate the elaborate ones. Like, I love a Near, I love Nier Automata. But I also love Dragon Quest XI, which is very straightforward in its tropes and characters and everything. And it can still be a
0: super interesting game, even though it doesn't oh, yeah. have that elaborate storyline. Mm. Playing the game at the highest difficulty level. Ah, here we uh, go. Mm, this is... <laughs> Quite literally a difficult one to answer because a couple of years ago, I would have said extremely important. And in fact, I have gone into the menu on my PlayStation 5 and I've set the default settings so that it automatically selects the hardest difficulty for me. That's what I do anyway. However, recently I've become a little bit more flexible while realizing that sometimes playing on the hardest difficulty can be can basically counterweight the actual enjoyment best example horizon forbidden west where you play on the hardest difficulty and it's super tough and it's very engaging because the combat is so hard but it also feels completely unsatisfying because it's not catering towards that particular difficulty so then in such incidents i'm perfectly fine toning it down same as with doom eternal for example i also turned it down there that's what i'm gonna say very important and not extremely
1: important yeah i think i would i think i would probably go with somewhat important on that one because i've i've talked about my horseshoe theory of difficulty before when it comes to role playing where there's a a sweet spot you hit where if you're on the easiest difficulty and the hardest difficulty you get to a point where you feel just as powerful in different respects like either you've mastered the game or you're just breezing through it so I would say somewhat important depending on the game I'm playing. There's a the sweet spot, right, where you Yeah. Basically the sweet spot to me feels often like
0: that is the difficulty level for which the game has actually
1: been developed and on which it has been playtested most. Yes. I think uh to to quote the eminent uh d- video game donkey, um a game like Halo feels like it was made to be played on heroic, not legendary, you know. It's it's like there's certain modes that you feel like okay this is the right amount where it doesn't feel like it's cheating me (laughs) out of a game experience and yet i still feel like i'm doing really well in it
0: yeah as long as there are no bullet sponges i'm good uh, and i like building up my skills but if it gets just too hard and too unfair then i gladly turn down the difficulty
1: yeah well that's a good segue into my next question which is becoming as powerful as possible and ah, I'm going to say Elden
0: Lord. Yes, exactly. So I'm,
1: I'm going to say very important because I love spending time in a game like Elden Ring trying to uh, min max my characters. I really like doing that. I find though that I don't do it as much on like shooting games, like first person shooters. I don't feel compelled to figure out like the best strategies it's more of a a war of attrition situation where if i'm in a role-playing game i love getting my stats maxed out i love getting the best equipment that to me is a fun game in and of itself so i'll say i'll say very important Mm, okay okay it's interesting that you bring up min
0: maxing in that context because Mm. at first when you raised that question i thought I think that would be very important to me as well, because it kind of means mastering its systems, which I like to do. But when it comes to min-maxing, it kind of, I was kind of uh, rethinking my answer a little bit. And I thought, maybe, maybe I wouldn't enjoy it that much, because when I have to start going into mathematical details... Or whether it's in something, like it can be in Elden Ring, it can be in games like Diablo, for example, where I have to Mm. spend so much time comparing all these equipment items with one another to see which one fits my build perfectly and which one brings the stat up just a little bit higher. I often then get bored and don't do that. And then I'm just like, I'm just going to take this because it looks cool or this one has a good ability. I'm just going to use that. So I guess for me, it would not be that important. Yep, fair enough. I've got a similar one: acquiring powerful weapons and artifacts. Mm. And yeah, of course, I want to acquire powerful weapons and artifacts. Like, am I gonna? <laughs> <laughs> am I gonna play through through uh, a from software game basically with just my fists? Oh, there are people who do that, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to acquire powerful weapons and artifacts, but it's not a major driving motivating factor for me. I do search everywhere to get what I can. But I won't try to go into intricate crafting and upgrade systems. So I'm going to say it's somewhat
1: important, which I think is probably a fair answer to give. I think I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think it's it's fun to get that stuff, but I don't know. Again, it, this is this is the thing, right? So I'm I'm taking this as all games because in RPGs, yeah, I'll probably go out of my way to get the coolest stuff, but in first-person shooters or even like strategy games, I don't know that I'm going to invest that time. Mm, Yeah. Well, the next one, this is an easy one, getting every possible star trophy unlock in a game. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say, because of the way that this is written, I'm not going to say extremely important. I'm going to say very important because I will often find that I'll go out of my way to get all the trophies, but if there are additional um, unlocks or uh, things that are outside of the realm of the trophy collectibles. I might not get those, so I'm going to say very important.
0: Like there, are, after you basically platinum the game, there are still like 50 more recipes you can find, and <laughs> it's like ah, <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: exactly. I think sometimes it depends on the game. I have done that before. I mean, I I've, I did it in Elden Ring. I feel like, or I I'm continuing to do it in Elden Ring. But uh yeah, there's plenty of games where I remember playing through. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Three. There was something. Uh, there's like an item that you can miss in one of the worlds, and all of these online FAQs were saying, "Don't miss this! Don't miss this!" And I was like, "What? It's just like a. It's a random item. I don't really care <laughs> for the for the full completion bonus on this."
0: Yeah. Okay. I get that. I I actually do it the same way. I think mm. there are games who are just crammed with stuff for its own sake and i just feel like there's no if there's no purpose in collecting them and i know by the motivation of trophies you're motivated by a meta game right because you're playing a different kind of game on top of it which is collecting it's like collecting stamps where people would also go out of their way to get like a rare stamp and in that same way you would work hard to get a trophy that not many people have but if it comes to just I don't know, collecting, like, arbitrary stuff that someone has put in there, just exchanged a couple of skins and multiplied it by five and just spread it all over the world. And it's like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm not going to collect all those feathers in in a Ubisoft game. Yeah, right. (laughs) 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 Oh, man, taking on difficult challenges that may take many tries to succeed. Mm. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that right at this very moment. (laughs) (laughs) butting my head against a an Elden Ring boss. Yeah. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this is I'm I'm not sure between somewhat and very important because I do enjoy that. And it is important to me to really try and optimize and 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 learn. I want to learn while playing the game. And that's why I think I'm gonna consider it to be very important. Yes, very important. That's my final answer.
1: That's fair. I think I think I agree because I wouldn't push it into extremely important because there are bosses where I say, okay, I'm just not going to do that if I if I you know get too frustrated with it. So the next one I have is dominating other players. Uh, I'm going to say not at all important. Um, I that's not why I play games. I understand that's why a lot of people do, um, but. Let me put it this way. I play Super Smash Brothers for the story mode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel exactly the same way. Dominating other players has its small spark of charm for me when I'm in the situation of playing maybe a civilization game, and I'm like, wow, so powerful, and it's like amazing, and basically I'm dwarfing all the other civs. Cool! But... In general, it's not something I take much enjoyment out of. So I would probably answer the same way. I find it. It's
1: if it ever happens, it's coincidental. Like if if I happen to be winning against somebody, I think, oh, that's neat. But it's never my goal. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you still probably. I'm also like super humble. Then I'm like, nah, I wasn't. I'm not that. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Don't
1: worry about it. Even even the I would say even the the platinum percentage situation. That's not. I want to get one over on these other, you know, 95% of players. It's just, I want to belong to the club of people who've done this.
0: Yeah. Maybe you're not even comparing yourself with other people, but you're rather basically just trying to expand your own collection and doing it for that sake.
1: Yes, I think so.
0: I've got the question, characters with interesting backstories and personalities. That's the question that you already had. And we discussed that if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, to that question, so. I'm gonna say this is extremely important to me because I love backstories and character
1: personalities. I have discovering offbeat or unconventional ways to play the game um i'm I'm gonna say slightly important uh i I usually am pretty conventional when I play a video game <laughs> i don't I don't look for speed runs or glitches too often. If I find one i I think it's fun, but I don't go out of my way to exploit a game like that.
0: Okay, yeah. I don't do that either. The only thing that I do, but I think this is this belongs to being conventional, is whenever I know that if I go through that door on the left, then that will continue with the story, then I will definitely ah. go to the right first. That's yeah. the thing that I do. And that's why I would probably also say slightly important, because I want to discover those optional items and so on, but it's not subversive, as in using exploits or glitching through a wall in order to discover a speedrun shortcut. Right. I've got... Having many customization, colors, styles, skins, and options. (laughs) I love doing that. Oh, okay. (laughs) I love customizing my character.
1: I I misunderstood this question because I thought this was going to be uh, having like a lot of customizable attacks and skills and stuff like that. And we've talked before about how that's a little overwhelming sometimes.
0: But yeah. Yeah, this is basically how much do you like the character editor? That's really the question behind this. (laughs) I must say, generally, I would tend to answer as extremely important because I am a person that spends a lot of time in a character editor. But then again, I've put my own perspective into relation with others that I've spoken to. And I know that there are people who are a lot more dedicated to that, who go into a lot more detail of either sculpting themselves or, even better, a character that they made up entirely entirely where they would come up with an entire backstory for that character and uh, like put a scar on their face and then think about how he or she got that scar. Mm. I'm not that much into it. Usually I just try to recreate myself a little bit and then I make some modifications to look better. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to say it's very important because I enjoy it very much and I I do spend two to three hours in a character editor sometimes, but I'm not going to come up with an elaborate character myself.
1: I have accumulating large amounts of in-game resources currency. Um I'm going to say slightly important. I think mine uh my resource gathering is more uh utilitarian than anything where it's just oh, okay what do I need instead of I'm going to okay let me put it this way. I'm not the kind of gamer that that joke of having a million potions by the end of the game applies to cuz i use them liberally i if oh, i need really? if i need an item i'll use it i i don't think i've ever been in a situation where i've thought oh i need to save that for later because i've played enough games at this point where i said i'm sure i can find more of that if i need it i actually I'm
0: exactly that kind of type of person. I collect so much. Like, I run around, I run through Skyrim, and I constantly press the collect button in case I (laughs) coincidentally look into the direction of a bush that has some berries on it, Yeah, (laughs) even though I have already 600 of them in my inventory. And then I am very cautious of using them, and I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to really learn, because I know that it's kind of dumb, and I'm making things harder for myself if I don't make use of the options and the possibilities that the game actually gives me so i'm going to make it quick
1: dominating other players we've spoken about that it's not at all important to me i have making an effort to get every collectible item in the game i'm going to say somewhat important if it doesn't relate to the trophies i don't really care <laughs>
0: <laughs> completing all possible missions and achievements in a game you've ha- we've talked about this question already and i think to me i can what did you answer you answered extremely right I said very. Very. Yeah. Because for me organically to me it feels I should also answer with very because I do like I actually have got quite a collection of platinum trophies as well. Mm. Mm. So it is it is important to me especially if it has some kind of in-game significance as part of the trophies as well but not probably not as much as it is to you so maybe I'll go with I'll go with somewhat important. Just so that the, the scaling works for this test. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, right. I have. Uh, oh, taking on difficult challenges. I'm going to say the somewhat important, like we did. Uh, characters. Okay, we're getting a, we're getting some overlap now. Characters with interesting backstories and personalities. Extremely. Um, okay, so I mean, I've I've gotten a lot of doubles
0: now. So what have, what have you gotten? I've got getting every possible star or trophy unlock in a game, which. I think I would consider to be
1: mm, somewhat important. All right. So I've gotten to another sec It gave me another pop-up. So we've gotten to a different section now.
0: Oh, wow. Now it transitions to a whole new section where it asks pretty similar questions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So how much, and this is all about enjoyment. So my first question is, how much do you enjoy gameplay that requires careful decision-making? Um, I'm going to say enjoy a lot. I'm a big fan of games like Mass Effect. And I think that those are games that make me think about the dialogue options a little more than just, are you going to use this weapon or not?
0: Yeah. Especially if they have some kind of impact. Mm, That's cool. I love that. Telltale games, Game of Thrones and so on. All these things that they did. Tales of the Borderlands, the 5,000 different decision-based games. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Helping other players. Yeah, I enjoy mm. helping other players. I gladly do that. I actually just had a, a session yesterday in Elden Ring where I thought, hmm, uh, maybe I'm going to leave my summon sign for other players because I might be able to help them with a boss that I saw a lot of people were struggling with if the blood puddles on the ground are to be trusted. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to hel- help other players. I enjoy, if I'm being honest, I enjoy it somewhat. I won't go especially out of my way to do that, if Dan asks me of course hey you wanna jump join my game and help me out which we've only done the other way around by the way then uh, <laughs> yes of course that's very enjoyable but it's not something that I'm occupied with like all the time so enjoy somewhat.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. My next one is gameplay that requires long-term planning and strategy. Uh I'm going to say I think I'm I'm less of a strategy gamer um than you I think because I don't I don't enjoy I like the Civ games, but I don't seek them out. So I would say uh, I would say enjoy a little. Um, I, I prefer kind of more in the moment kind of decision making with games.
0: Mm, I think I would probably land on enjoy a lot in that case, just because mm. when I play something like a strategy game, whether it's something like a huge scale game like Civ or a smaller game where I have to manage a group or something. I always try to think as far ahead as I possibly can and considering all the repercussions. Yeah, That's something I really enjoy. I've got taking on the role of another character or person. I enjoy that a great deal, especially if Mm. I can role play, if I can pretend also to be someone else. That's something I found the most enjoyable about World of Warcraft, to just pretend to be someone else. Play pretend. Yeah,
1: cool. Yep, constructing your own story. Yep, I love that too. Gameplay that requires a lot of thinking and planning. I feel like this is the same as the last question, but <laughs> so I'll say
0: enjoy a little. <laughs> I've got gameplay that requires careful decision-making, which I said enjoy a
1: lot too. I have going up against other players in duels or matches. Uh, I, honestly, I'm going to say, well, I don't hate it. I'll say enjoy a little. <laughs> it's not something I seek out. Ah, so you got the competitive question and I
0: got the cooperative question because I've got grouping up with other players. Mm, I enjoy that. Yes, I definitely enjoy grouping up with other players a whole lot more than competing, especially if it's a story-based game, like the Dark Pictures anthology, especially when you can play such games that have a story focus together cooperative, cooperatively, then I really enjoy that. So grouping up with other players, I'm going to say enjoy somewhat, because I'm going to do it in some games, but not in all of them.
1: My next one is a funny one. It's using guns and explosives. Um. Yes. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say enjoy a little, uh, because I, I much prefer sort of fantasy RPGs and stuff like that. So uh not I, I don't seek out first-person shooters too often.
0: Yeah, mine pairs with that. Gameplay with constant action and excitement. Mm, I enjoy that a little because there are these games where I find that amazing, where I can play Doom and I'm just like super into the flow. And then there are things in most games that i play though i'm i like to take a break and i like to take it a bit at my own pace so i'm going to say enjoy a little i got that one too and i'm going to give the exact same answer for the exact same reasons gameplay that is fast paced and intense i'm going to also say enjoy a little for the same reasons that i've just
1: given i'm going to say enjoy somewhat which is the next step up uh cuz i do i do like action rpgs as well so near type games the platinum games basically <laughs> i like those a lot I think we're, uh, I think we're lined up here. Maybe. Oh no. Just luckily. (laughs) (laughs) My, my next one, I got working towards a common goal with other players. Um, I'm going to say enjoy somewhat.
0: Yeah. Working towards a common goal is cool. I've got the competitive question of, you know, competing with other players. I don't, I don't find that at all enjoyable, uh, only in very rare occasions. So in order to make full use of the scale, I'm going
1: to say not at all enjoyable. Gameplay with lots of blood and gore. Uh, yes. Doom. yeah. <laughs> Doom. <laughs> Resident Evil. I'm going to say enjoy somewhat because I love horror games. You know what? I'm going to say enjoy a lot because I love uh, horror games. Actually, yeah. I find it enjoy a great deal.
0: <laughs> Gameplay that requires quick reaction times hmm okay so i love some games that do that i mentioned hotline miami already i mentioned doom already these are all games that uh, require quick reaction times but they're not necessarily my favorites so i'm going to say enjoy a little because i'm not gonna seek out a game because i need to have twitchy reflexes i i love this one being
1: an agent of chaos and destruction (laughs) i have the same one um i'm gonna say enjoy a lot i think If I'm given the option to do that, I will usually do it just to see what happens.
0: (laughs) So So you're the kind of person who would like burn down the Sims house just to see what's happening.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think the question is, did they program a reaction to this? Like what will happen if I do this? I do like doing that. (laughs) ah see
0: i do i'll say to the same question not at all enjoyable because it makes me sad Uh, because i can't do it i can't bring myself to do it like if i if i harm a character in a game even by accident then i will feel terrible you know in elden ring there is an enemy type they are like a half transparent jellyfish floating in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And they will not they necessarily you. attack you. Yeah. Some, no. some will, but not necessarily. And I always keep them alive. I even feel it breaks my heart when I have to kill like a turtle in Elden Ring. It's like, yeah. Oh God, those <laughs> poor turtles. <laughs> Getting that sweet
1: neck meat. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I have helping other players. Um, enjoy somewhat. <laughs> I'm Sorry my next one <laughs> did
0: you chuckle about the next one already
1: yeah yeah it's just blowing things up uh, ah. <laughs> well give us your answer it. yeah enjoy somewhat who doesn't like blowing things up I don't <laughs> I don't seek it out but when I get the uh, the opportunity I, I take joy in it yeah if I don't I'm not
0: searching for them but if there's a red barrel I will shoot it <laughs> I will blow it up yeah <laughs> working towards a common goal with other players we've already spoken about that I find that somewhat enjoyable
1: Gameplay that requires quick reaction times. Um, I'm going to say, as I get older, enjoy somewhat because I don't think I'm as quick as I was.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. With as the years go by, it becomes a little bit harder. I noticed that strongly when I started to jump into Fortnite many years ago, and I was like carefully approaching another player, and suddenly they had built like a ten meter high tower right in front of my eyes before I could even pull the trigger. And I'm
1: uh, <laughs> the the world is passing us by. <laughs>
0: yeah, what's, what's wrong in this video game here? <laughs> <laughs> Using guns and explosive. Well, okay. I mean, I enjoy it a little. I won't. I won't lie. I can't, I won't lie and say that shooting a demon in the face with a powerful shotgun is not enjoyable. Of course, it is. Mm, but it's not something that I will seek out. So I'm going to say enjoy a little.
1: Being immersed in another world or place. Yeah, uh, I got enjoy a great one. deal. Yeah, Mm, I enjoy that a great deal as well.
0: Yeah, Fully aligned. Gameplay with lots of blood and gore. Mm, Okay, I'm going to say enjoy a little because, yes, if that happens to be the case, I will not be repulsed by it. I will, in fact, uh, enjoy it if it is well done. But I'm not specifically going for it. So enjoy a little.
1: I have taking on the role of another character person. I'm going to say enjoy a great deal. I think we both felt that way.
0: Yeah, we're kind of wiggling into our slots here as we come towards the end of this uh, questionnaire. Yeah. Uh, Blowing things up, I enjoy it a little. We spoke about that already. I will also shoot at the red barrel, but actually, you know what? If there's no enemy nearby that would be harmed by that, I might just leave it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have competing with other players. Uh, I'm going to say say not at all enjoyable. I, I really don't play games for that reason.
0: Yeah, the same for me. I've got going up against other players in duels or matches. I will, I, I'll gladly do that. Like, I remember that when you and me were playing Elden Ring together and we were invaded by a player, we had like a super fun duel that was so challenging and exciting. If that happens once in a while, yes. But I do not really play competitive games exactly. Maybe at a party sometimes, but not, it's not really a passion of mine.
1: No. No. Uh, grouping up with other players, yeah, enjoy somewhat. Okay, I've gotten to another pop-up. Yeah, me too. Okay, how often do you do the following things when you play video games? Uh, I have explored the game world just for the sake of exploring it. I've got the same. Uh, I'm going to say often. Mm, yeah, I actually do that
0: always, even because yeah, I can't go past a section in On the map in a video game, without taking a stroll around it and looking at all the nPCs and when I play Yakuza, I go by, I look at all the different storefronts and see whether I can identify any magazines that are propped up there <laughs> i'm pretty I'm a little bit I'm a little bit maybe I'm going over the top when I do this, but yes, I always enjoy
1: that i have study other players to improve my own gameplay. I'm gonna say rarely here because what I will do, and i'm I'm gonna count this is I play through a game once, and then if there's a particular build that I want to try that I want like advice on, I will look that up. I'll look on YouTube, I'll look online, so I will say rarely because I don't seek it out first, but I will do it for fun,
0: ah, oh, totally. I understand. I'm gonna answer the same. Here I've got though a different question: experimenting with objects in the world just to see what happens. Mm, I I see where this question is going, and I think yes, I remember especially in Breath of the Wild, I did that quite a bit. Mm, Where you would get at the very beginning, where you would get the axe, and you would see these trees, and you'd think, hmm, (laughs) what what is an axe made for if not for this? You know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So I'm going to say sometimes because. When the occasion arises, I will. I enjoy experimenting with objects just to see what happens.
1: Yeah, I have something similar, so I, I would say sometimes too on that one. I have try out many different things to test what the game world lets me do. Um, I'm going to say sometimes because I don't. Uh, sometimes I will see what I can get away with, but it's not something I. I say, oh, I wonder if I can break the game like this. Mm. <laughs> it's for me also as long as it doesn't break.
0: The moment of being immersed in the world and in the invested in the characters, as long as it doesn't destroy that, I'm fine with trying out a whole lot of things. Put considerable time into customizing my characters, cities, or spaceships. Yeah, well, define considerable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to do that. I do like to put time into designing characters, cities, and spaceships. I love playing Animal Crossing and planting nice flowers and coming up with Even though these objects in Animal Crossing, they don't really have much of a function. They're just decorative items, but you can still design a tiny barbecue corner somewhere on the beach, which (laughs) I had a whole lot of fun doing. So I'm going to say I often enjoy that.
1: I have the same question. I'm going to say rarely because it depends on the game. I don't usually seek out those kinds of games, and if I'm playing an RPG, for example, I, if if it's a character that's defined like i think of in tales of a rise uh the main character alfin you can give him different outfits and stuff but i usually don't do that because i i just go with sort of the character as if it's written but in a game like elden ring or other from software games i do spend a lot of time customizing my character even though you never see their face after you put a helmet on
0: <laughs> yeah ah that's so tragic but still yeah i i totally get what you mean the same in Other role-playing games such as uh, Skyrim, I've already mentioned, the Elder Scrolls series, where you spend a whole lot of time customizing your character and even choosing like nice outfits, and then you just go into first person and never leave it again. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) How often are you primarily focused on increasing your stats or your level? Well, I would say sometimes because I will do some grinding and I will definitely try to defeat every enemy at least once, even if I don't have to. But, I will not farm unless
1: I have to, so sometimes my my answer for that will be always I actually seek games out if there's a level up system <laughs> <I'll> say, <laughs> oh i'm I'm very excited to play this game. um I have put a lot of thought and effort into the character creation process. It's kind of the same as the last one. I'm gonna say rarely on mm, that. I'm gonna say often it
0: mm. pretty much reflects where we stand anyway, yeah. I've got the one right. that you had before. Try out many different things to test what the game world lets me do. And I think my answer to that was as long as it doesn't break the immersion, so I'm going to say sometimes.
1: <laughs> All right. And I I had a a repeat there, so I am finished.
0: I'm finished as well. It it's co- currently computing my gamer type. Okay, I'm going to see skip and see my profile computing. Oh wow. Uh I can say uh, shall I say mine already? Yes. So my gamer type is architect. I'm an architect. The gamer type motto is my empire begins with this village. <laughs> and, and it says, and to explain a little bit, architects are solo gamers that enjoy planning, decision making and progression. They prefer slow paced, relaxing gameplay where they can plan and build something grand and enduring. Yeah. Okay, I can I can see myself reflected in that.
1: Yeah. I uh, mine is <laughs> mine is perfect. So <laughs> it's uh, slayer and it says the the gamer type motto the hero in a cinematic story. And it says slayers want to be the heroic protagonists in a cinematic story. They are solo gamers who enjoy highly curated narratives and slower-paced gameplay. They see games as highly interactive action movies to be experienced. I don't know that I agree with that last one, but the hero in a story, absolutely, I agree with that part.
0: (laughs) Now, I feel like that as well. And I think what we are now, what we now can compare is our um, motivation profile, where we've got the different percentages, because now we've got these different categories. We've got action, social, mastery, achievement, creativity, and immersion. And it gives us percentages to which degree we are motivated by these factors. Shall we go around and briefly say our numbers? Yeah, you go first. Like, okay, action, four. I have 30%. Okay. Social, 15. 20. Mm, okay, very close. Mastery, 79. Oh, wow, I <laughs> have 22%. <laughs> oh, really? Why so yeah. little? I, I don't understand. Maybe the difficulty?
1: Probably. The difficulty questions?
0: Yeah. Probably, but you are definitely the one who's more inclined to... For mastery, I think than I am. (laughs)
1: That's strange. Yeah.
0: Achievement: forty-five percent.
1: Seventy-three percent.
0: Ah, okay. That's where these points went. (laughs) Yes, I think so. (laughs) Creativity: I'm fifty-two.
1: I'm seven percent, which is strange. (laughs) But I I wonder if it's because I I like to role play written characters more as opposed to creating my own. That might be it.
0: Yeah, and I think. Creativity here refers not so much to what we would commonly understand as creativity, but more as engaging with the gameplay mechanics creatively, playing against the grain, and so on. I think so. And well, immersion is my highest one; it's at ninety percent. I'm at eighty six percent. Okay, so you've got immersion and achievement as your highest ones, if I saw see that correctly. That's right. Yep. Okay, I've got immersion and
1: mastery as my highest ones. That's interesting. Yeah, I because th- I think we we play pretty similarly, but I know that we have enough I, I guess what I'm saying is this all makes sense to me. <laughs> it's enough enough of a difference.
0: Yeah, I think it makes sense because we are indeed very similar. Like if you compared us into the vast ocean of people that play video games, then I think we would probably belong to the same group. Yeah. And then only when it comes to the more fine distinctions such as how important exactly is trophy collection, then it's a little bit more important it's important for both of us, but for you it's a little bit more important. For me it's a little bit less important. And the same thing for, you know, like uh maybe mastering game systems and min maxing and so on. So yeah, I think it it's pretty reflective of of how how we play, I suppose.
1: Yeah. It's just a very it's very interesting because I, I I think I don't know what I expected going into it, but the answer that they gave me, I think, does fit me pretty well.
0: I feel like, nah, okay, architect, yes, I do like being an architect, but I lack in this one the story element, which is like a super important part, like stories and characters. It doesn't really appear in the character archetype, but well, I guess it can't be perfect. It's just trying to assign these these types, which is still also, it's a and as they say, these Types are a new and experimental feature. Mm. Uh, So I think they're just trying to, to test this out. And the more people do these tests, the more they can refine their, you know, their evaluation process. So if you are curious of doing that, then please navigate to our show notes or to our website where you can find the link to this Quantic Foundry gamer motivation test. And of course, leave a comment to let us know what your Motivational type is. We'd be very curious to hear about that. And while you go through the survey, we'll go ahead and do some side questing.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify.
2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: In our side quests, we venture through the internet to bring you stories and articles that we find interesting and relevant. We also talk about our own impressions of video games we are currently playing. And of course, you can find all the links that we reference in the show notes. Number one, how to interpret digital games, a hermeneutic guide in 10 points with references and bibliography by Mikhail Kloszynski on gamestudies.org. This is a very common question. How do you interpret video games? How do you go about Mm. this? It's such an elusive process. You read all of these cool interpretations and you think, why didn't I come to that conclusion? (laughs) This is exactly what Mikhail Kłosiński is dealing with, because he put together this hermeneutic procedure for game analysis, which is, according to him, not, not meant as a strict framework that you can follow and you will definitely find something interesting, but rather it prompts you to think about games in different ways to maybe raise some interesting questions and to guide your analysis, even though it might not be exhaustive and there might be new points that might be added to it or that might be recommended to add to it, I think that there are some parts in which I disagree with these 10 points in detail only. Like, Mm. generally, I do agree with the process and I do find it important and interesting. I don't agree with every single thing in detail and I'm going to address those as we go through it. But I like the sentiment that Klosinski he says that, Maybe it's even a good thing that we don't have a kind of super restrictive guide for how to interpret video games because we need all kinds of different approaches and different perspectives to produce interesting and insightful analyses. So shall we go through these 10 points of how to analyze a video game according to Mikhail Kluszynski? Yeah, absolutely. Number one, gameplay. Quote play the game, (laughs) exclamation mark. Open the book, (laughs) see the movie. (laughs) See the movie, read the book, play the game. It's not as self evident. (laughs) It's a good good first step. It's not quite an analysis just yet, but it's an important first step because (laughs) while it might sound silly to begin with, it is indeed the case that there are analyses, actually quite many analyses of video games out there that do not play the game. Uh, that rely on summaries or descriptions or YouTube videos and such things. Mm, This is a problem. And Klosinski says, you should really play the game. You should take notes. You should make screenshots and gameplay videos if you can. You should note down everything that catches your attention, even though it might not seem crucially significant to your own analysis at that point. But just take a note of it. And I personally... I circumvent this process a little bit because this is where I disagree a little bit. For me, I don't really take notes while playing yeah. when I want to produce an analysis because that always interrupts the flow of play. Instead, what I do is I play through the game while recording my entire playthrough. Usually, since now on a the, on the PlayStation, I can do that with the integrated recording function. And then afterwards, I will go through my own gameplay videos and I will then take notes on things that strike me as interesting, because then I can fast forward and I know, okay, in the next segment, there's nothing really that concerns my own interpretation. I'm going to skip that. And it just makes things a little bit more flexible for myself.
1: I think that's more organic anyway, because the, the first experience you have is, it, it's a data point in and of itself, right? So if you're trying to, if you're making that a little murky with your note taking, I think that it takes away from valuable data that you would be getting just by playing the game first
0: yeah maybe if you play it a second time or if you go back to specific sequences to replay them then of course but if you are in a game where you constantly have to hit the pause button or in (laughs) a game like a from software game where you have to then constantly like stand around in a corner where you're not being attacked to jot down (laughs) a couple of notes and maybe then that's the worst thing if you do that while playing you might restrict yourself from going down um Uh, like a chain of associations while you're taking notes because that's often Mm. what happens. I take a note on an aspect in a game and I have like ideas that come to my mind that link to that and I would note them down as well and then you think like, ah, but I need to continue and so on. Right. It it kind of rushes the process a little bit. That's why I would rather recommend first recording an entire playthrough and then taking notes afterwards. Number two, distanciation. After playing the game, you should take a step back your own experience because you've had now this what you beautifully called as a first data point your own experience but now in order to produce an analysis you should take a step back you should read reviews you should read academic papers other analyses people who have also looked into this game you should watch youtube videos and twitch streams to see how people react to certain sequences those that you are particularly interested in just to abstract a little bit from your very own reading and your very own reactions to that game
1: yeah i think that this is an important step especially because when i've analyzed games before there's been there's been moments where i'm like oh have people had the same thought that i've had and then in looking into that i've found actually more interesting counter thoughts that have helped cement my position or have pointed something else out to me or it's just it's a very valuable thing and i think don't Uh, put yourself in an echo chamber with your own ideas because it doesn't really help you that much.
0: Yeah, especially when it comes to academic analyses and academic papers. I'm sometimes baffled when I receive a term paper by a student who, let's say, just for the sake of abstraction, interprets the film Titanic but does not include any other analyses of the film Titanic, where I just think there's (laughs) so many analyses out there and you can often also save yourself some effort Because maybe you don't have to go through all these interpretive steps that you think you have to, because you can rely on someone who has already done that for you. Interpretation Mm. is, in this sense, a collaborative process where you build on the interpretations or you argue against interpretations that are already out there. And that's why you should definitely do your research on that matter. Mm. Number three, confronting prejudice. So Klushinski assumes that prejudices are an integral part of interpretation. And it might even be the reason why you've chosen a certain game. He says, for example, an, a prejudice would be, Elden Ring is for masochists. Elden Ring is too difficult. Elden Ring is a gothic horror game. By the way, Klushinski, I know we constantly talk about Elden Ring, And (laughs) Kloszynski does that as well, because he goes through all of these steps. For every step, he has examples from Elden Ring. (laughs) Oh, great. I just brought them in only where they are relevant and where I found them illustrative. In this case, yes, because you always approach a game with a certain prejudice. It might be a prejudice such as it is too difficult or it is is a game that's absurdly violent or that's morally reprehensible to play. Mm, Even just a genre ascription Or when it comes to its meaning, Elden Ring, as I would say, my prejudice would be Elden Ring is a game that emphasizes the neoliberal imperative of the individual saving the world. Um, I don't know whether this is true. I haven't finished the game, but I acknowledge this kind of prejudice Mm. and I put it into my interpretation. It's a simple and generalized statement that I can then take to the game to test whether it makes sense. And it helps me understand my own perspective that I have going into the analysis.
1: I think it also helps to it take the uh, the game on its own terms. So another example I would use is it's I think a widely held prejudice that Sonic 6 is a terrible game, right? Mm, yeah. And I think that you're doing yourself a disservice by I w- I would say that it is not very good, but it's interesting to take that out of your your lens of viewing the game. And instead think, well, what were they trying to do? Or how is this an example of poor development or rush development, right? That That's more interesting than this is bad. Yeah, this is bad is kind of a superficial statement. Mm. But
0: at this point that we are at, at the confronting prejudice, it's actually all about acknowledging these prejudices and putting them into words. Um, mm. Because the confrontation with it, the actual engagement comes in a moment Before doing that, though, you have to, point number four, create a summary. Quote, summarizing helps us translate the game into our own story about the game. End quote. Mm. Because, yeah, it's a challenge in itself. Anyone who's ever tried to summarize a game properly knows that it's difficult. It's not an easy thing. I've just been writing my own summary, my synopsis on Hellblade and because of this hellblade is a game that has like a very non-linear storytelling and then where do you bring in the aesthetics where do you bring in the mechanics do you talk about the genre do you talk about the production context all of these things you need to research and you need to think about how to summarize it how can you explain in a paragraph or two what this game is and that will already be a big step forward because then you've pulled this abstract impression into your own words mm-hmm. Number five, problematization. I like this sentence, quote, interpretation is a problem-generating process, end mm. quote. <laughs> because the idea is that you try to think about, this is a little bit what you meant, Dan, before, to think about what, which kind of problems does the game address? Which kind of themes does it bring up? Which kind of problems do I have with this game? And... Thinking about all of these problems and understanding them as, acknowledging them as problems, is c- crucial part to kick off the interpretation.
1: Mm. You have to know what you're interpreting, basically. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to see it as a problem first before being able to untangle it. Mm. And untangling it, an eloquent word for that is in number six, reconstruction. That means you try to identify links of meaning. Where do you find certain symbols in a game or certain themes that you can identify and trace throughout the game, maybe even references to other games? How does the game engage with the problems that you have identified? How do the game's mechanics relate to the meaning that you have identified? So reconstructing all of these connections is a crucial part. And this is where I would say I think this is totally right. I just disagree with this hermeneutic approach in Mm. detail a little bit because I think there's a kind of implication in this entire understanding that games have a sort of, well, hidden meaning within them and interpreting is about unearthing that kind of meaning, like a treasure that you bring to the surface. Whereas I see meanings more as constructions that are basically activated and brought into the game by virtue of playing it. That's why I don't agree in, on the exact wording, but the idea itself of reconstructing the problems and how the game engages with them—that's what I do agree with.
1: I I would agree fully with that. I think that it's you're not exactly doing yourself any favors by approaching a game like it is this esoteric secret thing that you're trying to crack, because mm. um, a lot of times games are not secretive with their themes. So, yeah. yeah, sometimes you can just, you can put things together and say, um, I guess a, a good example to keep with Elden Ring is there's a lot of imagery of uh, doubling in Elden Ring, right? And I think a, a cool example of reconstruction would be, okay, well, if I'm approaching this game with this particular theme in mind, how does all the doubling fit into that? You yeah. Know, what what are they trying to say here? Mm, exactly. And going deeper into this, You go to step number
0: seven, which is suspicion. While you reconstruct prevalent meanings, you have to start getting suspicious. You have to read the game against the grain. And this is also where Klosinski references this idea of hidden meanings. It means that you should be critical You should critically engage with the themes that the game poses and the way it engages with them. You should also be critical when it comes to the representation of marginalized groups, where such categories Mm. like race and gender and sexuality and so on come in. And you should also be critical of its production context. Crunch, for example, the exploitation of workers, or moral implications within that game is the moral point that this game makes really something that is worth getting behind so being suspicious and i think most importantly being suspicious of your own reading because i always Mm. value when i'm presented with an interpretation i always appreciate when i am presented with an alternative interpretation like you can read it like this but actually there's a whole nother way to read this which would be like this I enjoy that. I just find it interesting because it points out that games are really polysemantic, semantic so they have more than just one meaning.
1: Mm.
0: Number eight. Theoretical coupling. Quote, It is imperative to acknowledge that the interpretation itself produces more data than one can put into an article or presentation. End quote. Please acknowledge this. I can totally get behind that point. Games are long, often long, and Mm. they are often intricate and complicated. And as I have mentioned just now, they can offer you several ways to interpret and read them. You don't have to do an exhaustive reading of a game. Instead, you look at games from a theoretical angle. And you can go about this by either saying you choose a theory first, And then you apply that theory to the game. Or you can choose a game first and then select a theory that you find interesting to apply to that game. Either way, you will have to look at the interpretation of the game through the lens of a specific theory. Otherwise, you're just looking at a whole mess
1: of data and information that doesn't seem to give you a coherent picture at all. We, and we've talked before about how you're, you can't say everything about a game in one analysis. So I think that it's, it's, this is a really important step where you acknowledge that a game is massive and you say, I'm going to be looking at it through the lens of how madness is interpreted, for example, right? This is something that I'm going to look at very particularly so that I don't get bogged down with all the other possible interpretations of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you can write a whole book about a game, And then someone comes along and still points out something new about it that you weren't aware of. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Number nine, existential inquiry. Mmm, this is <laughs> it's a good a good step <laughs> in any process. <laughs> yes. Existentially acquire into your existence. Why are you here? What yes. is this all for? <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The sink with your head on the table and think, why am I, why have I chosen this game? Why am I studying <laughs> what I am studying? <laughs> so this is all about how the game has changed you. Mm. Quote. At this stage, we pose questions about how the game has expanded our understanding of the world. Existential inquiry, therefore, focuses on the transformative functions of digital games. The power that play as a cultural practice holds over the individual, end quote. So what kind of insights have you gained? What kind of new perspectives have you gained? Or what kind of new understanding, which is something that we have at least tangentially addressed repeatedly on the show have you gained when it comes to the relationship between player and avatar so there are a whole lot of interesting questions that come from looking at yourself and your own experience and how it might have changed
1: i also think it's an important part because this is something that bothers me in in game analysis when people go too far in either direction where they say Mm -hmm. this is all about my personal experience or they say I'm completely removing myself from the analysis because neither of those work. And I think that it's important to say, okay, I did engage with this. How has this changed me? How am I approaching my analysis because of how it changed me?
0: Yeah, it is after all an interactive medium that requires Mm -hmm. a player to engage with it. And considering that it does need that player to engage, it means you can't cross yourself out of the formulation of interpreting the game, and at the same time, I totally agree. Don't make yourself the own subject of interpretation. Um, yeah. Often that's not particularly. That's more like a self inquiry that you can write in a diary. You know. Right, right. <laughs> the last one, and I think it's the most important one: testing interpretative hypotheses. So, the idea of hermeneutics is always that throughout this entire process, you find several hypotheses about the game, what it is about, what its problems are, how it might have changed you, all of these things, right? You come up with ideas, including the prejudices that you have formulated and articulated, and then you want to bring them to the game, and you want to see whether those hypotheses are supported by the game as a text. Quote, make a list of hypotheses with arguments for and against them identify and write down the hypotheses that you did not explore. They might be used in discussions with other researchers, end quote. But most importantly, always make sure that your hypothesis, your interpretative hypothesis is actually substantiated in the (laughs) game in some form. And if I think it's important to say, maybe be open to the fact that it might not be, because if you have an idea, let's say, in Elden Ring, the doubling has some kind of, you know, it's some kind of significance. And you formulate as that as an hypothesis, and you apply it, and you find, well, actually, not really. It's not really saying anything of interest about this. Then allow yourself to come to the conclusion,
1: that's not the direction in which I want to go further with my interpretation. Right. But it may fit into someone else's with their particular yes. look, right? And I think yes. that's... That is the cool thing about video games, more so than uh, other media too. I would argue um, because you're coming at it from so many different perspectives. So, I would say that this is a pretty good this is a pretty good way to start if you're if yeah. you're looking to analyze a game. These ten steps are really helpful to kind of formulate how you're going to approach it.
0: Yeah, and while it might be tough to give an exact guide, I do know that it's really helpful if such a thing exists you might hmm. not follow the these things in a linear path and you don't have to you might go back to certain points or you might skip one that you don't find all that insightful but you will have something to go by when you do hmm. your first couple of interpretations and then at a certain point i think you'll figure out organically which things you found helpful and you will integrate that into your workflow and other things you might drop because you think ah oh, okay i don't need i don't need to do this it just consumes too much time But I think that's an important first step indeed. And you can find the entire article, of course, linked in the show notes if you want to read through these steps on your own. Number two.
1: All right. Well, I had, speaking of analysis, I had a really fun time um, playing through Kirby and the Forgotten Land.
0: Oh, what is the hidden meaning of Kirby and the Forgotten Land? (laughs) um,
1: I think it's that... uh, I think it's that... uh, If I had to put it in... Uh, succinct phrase um it, everything is terrifying all the time <laughs> oh. <laughs> i think kirby kirby has this sort of i guess reputation for well first of all being very cute right it is a very cute game it's uh saccharinely cute but it's wonderful um but the the setup of kirby and the forgotten land is that at the beginning of the game kirby and all of the waddle d's you know his his friends from his world get sucked into another world the forgotten land and it looks a lot like our world there's a lot of it kind of kind of like a um uh, a post-apocalyptic kind of city setting where there's cars and vending machines and things that you can suck up and use to get around the world a little bit differently Mm -hmm. um and you get there and you meet uh, a character named elphalin who is a Denizen of this world, and you're going through and basically freeing all the Waddle that were captured. And it's not until the very end of the game that you figure out why all this happened. And spoilers for Kirby and the Forgotten Land uh, there's an eldritch outer god that exists in this world who uh, basically sent a lot of the previous denizens of the world to a dreamland, and all of the remaining people want to go there. And so that's why it's called the Forgotten Land, because all of the people who were there are forgotten by this god who came in and made everything crazy. So that's the story. Um, But I've got got questions. Yeah, okay, fair (laughs) enough.
0: (laughs) I've got a couple of questions, but I think the most important one is probably that, as you said, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic land that resembles Mm. somewhat our own reality, which is a step that Super Mario Odyssey has also taken before. Do you find that this fits? Because my first impression is Kirby is so quirky and so comical, comical in a sense of looking not real, that I I, I would say, isn't that just like a little bit disjunct?
1: No, I would say it does fit because that's kind of the backdrop. Like, uh, for example, a level might be an abandoned mall, but the everything in it is still very Kirby. Like all of the yeah. enemies are, they're Kirby enemies, you know? So you can use the copy ability to suck up enemies and then get their abilities. So there's like a swordsman that looks like the old Kirby swordsman. There's a cutter. There's a uh, the Poppy brothers that use the bombs. They're all there. So it's not like you're Kirby in a world where, it's not like New Donk City where there's humans walking around, you know? Oh, okay. But sing so, jazz music or something. Yeah, exactly. So it still feels very much like a Kirby world, but the backdrops are less trees with eyes on them and more skyscrapers that have been uh, hollowed out. So it, it definitely, it feels very cohesive and it's a fun, it's a fun world to explore. You get a lot of different abilities, like on top of the normal copy abilities that you get, you can, like I said, you can the big meme is that you can turn into a car um you can turn or a vending into a machine vending machine yep yeah um there's like a uh like a wind turbine that you can turn into to um blow things up from far away uh there's a lot of a lot of fun stuff and i think the game is just short enough that it feels like there's a lot of really fun ideas that you can explore with different gameplay types, but not so big that you feel like it's dragging on and on and on. It's very, it's not like Super Mario Odyssey in the sense that there's so much to do. I feel like it's a very compact game, but it feels very big because of all the different abilities you can use and all of the different items you can suck up and uh, all the different waddle Ds you can save. It's a, it's a fun game.
0: And it seems like that's exactly the right choice to make for Nintendo, because yeah. I know that Kirby is, Kirby is kind of in the front row, but standing a little bit, like, slightly behind Mario and the other kind of, like, super high-profile characters. At the yeah. same time, he does deserve his time in the light and his time to shine, and it seems, like, very reasonable to make it a game that exploits its mechanics to the fullest while never overstaying its welcome.
1: Yes. And the other part of it that I really like is that I played it in sort of short bursts because unlike Super Mario Odyssey, which is this vast, I mean, there are levels, but it's a vast open world in each level. Yeah. Kirby and the Forgotten Land, you'll go to different sections of the world and there will be maybe five or six levels that take you honestly 10 minutes to beat. And there's a lot to explore in it. I think if you if you really wanted to explore every part of it, it would maybe take you 25 minutes. So it's these bite-sized chunks of just fun little Kirby levels that feel like a bigger, uh, or a smaller part of this huge world that you get to explore. So it never overstays its welcome. The music is beautiful, um, and it feels very much like a Kirby game from start to finish, starting with all of the crazy cute stuff and then going into the abjectly horrible... uh, (laughs) I I don't know what it is about Kirby games, but it always ends up with (laughs) there's this monster from out of space and time that Lovecraft wrote, and it's coming to eat Kirby's strawberry shortcake.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is so terrible, so frightening. But I must say, your understanding of it and your joy with it has actually encouraged me to maybe also start it, because initially I was Mm. a little bit well, not like it's particularly my thing. I felt, since I've never really played a Kirby game, but uh, it seems that it's something that manages to stay true to the Kirby formula while at the same time also being accessible and engaging.
1: Yeah, I would say this is a... I I would think, because I've played a few of them before, I'm not a huge Kirby fan, but I wanted to play this one just because I wanted something on the Switch. While I was in bed, really. And uh, I would say that if this is your first Kirby experience, it's a really good one to have. Could it be that Nintendo
0: at the moment is moving many of its brands into new directions? Uh, Mm. Super Mario, Odyssey, we've seen this is really a new step or at least a step in a new, uh, not a new direction, but maybe to a new level. Kirby now, we've seen Pokemon, which is not um, first party Nintendo, but still part of its big wider brand.
1: It seems like they're doing this with many different brands, right? Yeah, even with Metroid, I feel like. Uh, Metroid, yes. Metroid Dread, yes. Yeah. Metroid Dread uh, it, of course. It does seem like they are not doing, uh, not like soft reboots, you know, not to use that terminology, but it does feel like, okay, this is this is the first step, these games are the first steps in the new direction for all of these titles, and I would say that Kirby and the Forgotten Land definitely has some connective tissue with with previous games like I'm reminded of the the game that came out on the N64 which was kind of an open world where you collected a bunch of things. It feels different enough to that that it's trying something new. And I think that there's it definitely feels like there's an effort for this to be a lot of people's first Kirby game. I'll, I'll say that much cuz it feels like a great introduction to him and all the stuff that he does without being too steeped in whatever Kirby lore <laughs> there is.
0: Well, maybe it shall be my first. Hmm. Ah, number three, you've,
1: you've brought another side quest, right? Yes. Just, uh, briefly. Cause, uh, I wanted to talk about, I went to PAX East. Hey, and yeah. So, uh, went to PAX East with, with a terrible fate. We did a panel on Elden ring, which was, a whole lot of fun and we had a lot of we had a great turnout for it. We talked about speaking of interpretations and analyses, we talked about ours for Elden Ring and we had a really great uh audience and then afterwards we talked with a really a solid group of people for about an hour, which was fantastic. That's always the best and point of doing these talks. Y- yes, it it really is. It's the part that I look forward to the most. And I would say that The panel was a great success. Thank you for everyone who came out or watched it on Twitch. It was uh, really nice to go back to PAX East. The last time I'd gone to PAX East was uh, really like two weeks before the the lockdown started in America. And it felt like this word was being used a lot, but I think it's true. It felt like a homecoming in a lot of ways. Um, A lot of people happy to be there. And I will say that I think this was this was probably a product of my being there on Thursday. Uh, that's when our panel was, so it was the very first day, and a lot of people, you know, are still working and they're not taking the time off to go to the con. It was a bit quieter, and so I think I may have gone in with a an expectation of it being a boisterous and you know huge kind of parade back to PAX, and it didn't feel quite that way. So I may have uh, overhyped my own expectations, but. It was nice to be back on the floor and to talk with people who really love games. And one of the things that I love so much about PAX is that the people there, and I think this is probably true of any game conference, they will rise to the level of your material so easily. So if you're talking about, if you're just goofing around talking about a fun board game experience you had those are the kinds of questions and comments you're going to get or just fun jokes and stuff like that but if you come at it like uh aaron and i did with a terrible fate with heavy analysis and a lot of academic background boy they meet you and they say uh, they have great questions and things that you didn't think about and it just really reminds you that uh we're in a really cool time for game analysis where people are really thinking um smartly about video games and it's really cool to see Oh, that sounds like an amazing, I'm so sad that I couldn't be there. One of these times we're going to, we're going to meet up at a games, at a games conference. uh, Maybe we can do a talk somewhere at a games conference as well. That would be great. We
0: should. Studying pixels panel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I think (laughs) we've got the audience for it. People are hungry for, for game analysis and game talk. So I think uh, that would be a lot of fun. So yep. Lots of, lots of cool stuff. Uh, didn't see too many games again. I think I might've just been too early. Um, Mm. I did see, I did see Devolver's Trek to Yomi though, which is coming out in a couple of days at the time of this recording. And that looked really cool. I'm excited to play that, uh, in full, but yeah, it was a, it was maybe a little more low key on the, the day that I was there, but it was nice to see a lot of people with the same interests in the same place.
0: I can't wait. I can't wait soon but i (laughs) don't know how i don't know how i mean i always go to gamescom i don't know how that will be this year i know it will probably take place but who knows how big it will be you always have this kind of maybe also like a little bit of a post pandemic headache i shouldn't really say post because we're still theoretically in the pandemic but let's say a a late pandemic headache where everyone's kind of just like coming over and then wearing masks and it's like okay although I don't think people wore masks at this PAX East, right?
1: No, that that, they the did. Yeah, they it did. was. Um, mm. they, they actually had, I was joking about it because they were really strict about it to the point where maybe every 30 minutes somebody would come on the, the PA system and say, PAX East is a fully masked event. If you are not wearing a mask, you will be asked to leave. Ah, <laughs> so I see. It was pretty uplifting. well i'm glad
0: and i'm I'm looking for i'm glad that you had a wonderful time there and i'm definitely i haven't watched the panel that you did there just yet because i'm going to finish elden ring first but then i'm Mm. definitely going to do that and maybe then we have a little bit more grounds to have a chat about elden ring again on this show it's absolutely not like we don't talk about it at all. It's almost like the game doesn't exist from our just from listening to our episodes. Yeah, you don't come here for Elden Ring chat, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you did, though, then I hope you enjoyed this episode still. Thank you so very much for listening. And by the way, if you have your podcast app open right now, just in case it happens to be so, and if you haven't clicked that subscribe button, then please do so because that's really the way that we're evaluated. That's really the way that a podcast app is going to check whether they are going to suggest us to other people. Just hit that plus or that subscribe button if you are there, and then we'll talk again next
1: week.